Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. (laughs) Who needs sleep anyway? Good evening! You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 17. I'm your host, Otis Gyre, and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of author N.M. Brown, about pernicious playthings, malevolent meats, dark doorways, and odious occupations. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first three spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended podcast of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So, lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. (laughs) If you've ever stepped on a toy, you may share this grandfather's start to his day. But as author N.M. Brown shows, a poke to the foot is probably the least of his problems on what is to be A very, very bad day. Without further ado, I present to you Legos. I really, really hate Legos. The little nubs and sharp corners fit perfectly right in the center of the bottom of your foot, causing a stabbing agony that lingers for the rest of the day with every step. I'd hoped I was done with them after raising my kids, but unfortunately, fate had other plans. One careless deadbeat daughter with an unwanted baby on the way later, and my wife and I found ourselves parents to a newborn again. 
My grandson Adam and I wake up 45 minutes late this morning. The very first thing I see upon opening my bedroom door is a hardwood minefield of discarded Legos in the hallway. I step over most of them gingerly, but my impatience with getting a move on gets the best of me. The second-to-last Lego impales the arch of my foot, assaulting my nerve endings with a lightning bolt of pain. Through gritted teeth, I wake Adam up and help him rush to get ready for school. I prepare the coffee maker and get all the way to the last step when I mournfully realize I'm out of drinking water. My little buddy gets on his bus, I get in my car, and we go our separate ways for the day. I grab a lukewarm, unsatisfying cup of coffee at a drive through cafe and then continue to drive to work. Things should all be better once I get there. That promotion is as good as mine. I've already started spending my sign-on bonus. I'll be so happy and proud to tell my boy that his grandpa got the job. He deserves a better life and nice things. He barely ever asks me for anything and is so appreciative, even at his young age, of every gift he receives. I think I'm going to take him to the theme park two towns over that he loves. We've only been able to go once and it rained the whole day. He loved it, though. My boy smiled ear to ear through the whole park, wetter than a drowned rat but as happy as a June bug. I pull into the parking lot and walk inside the building. My confidence soars with every slightly pained step forward that I take toward the conference room. It looks like most of the office is already inside. Quite a few heads turn my way to greet me with warm smiles as I take my seat at the conference table. All right, everyone. Now that Reinhardt's here, we can get on with business. He gives me a wink of camaraderie after saying my last name. I take the subtlest of deep breaths as I mentally prepare myself for a victorious acceptance platitude. I need to be prepared to humbly respond to the impending promotion announcement. After fifteen arduous years, I would finally be getting the recognition I deserve. My boss continues. As you are all aware, a promotion became available last month. After carefully going over performance reviews and customer satisfaction rates, we've finally chosen the perfect candidate. Please give a warm welcome to your new assistant director. I rise to my feet and brush off my sides of my suit jacket as the name falls from his lips into the atmosphere. Stuart Brown. A middle-aged man in the back of the room has also risen to his feet with an accomplished, proud smile on his face. My hands unconsciously come together and start clapping to join the others in the room. I force a thin smile across my lips. As my eyes meet Stuart's, I give a congratulatory nod. My feet guide me in betrayal as I find myself walking towards him. I shake his hand with as much positivity as I can muster, secretly loathing that this man got the job that should have rightfully been mine. As soon as it's time for my lunch break, I step outside to call my wife. I really need her loving voice right now. The sinking fear that she will leave me for my shortcomings nags at my mind. She's not that kind of woman, though. It's just the voice in my head, the voice that I never want to listen to, but is the one that never goes away, only popping up when I'm feeling my lowest or highest. Talking to my wife always makes me feel better. I love her so much. Her phone rings only once, then directs me to voicemail. I dial the number again, seeking the much-needed relief that her presence always gives me. However, the result is the same. I decided to call her on her work line, figuring she must just be getting back from her break by now. This time, a woman's voice answers on the third ring. Thank you for calling Harper and Stone Realty Office. This is Sherry. How can I help you today? Confused, I answer her. Uh, yeah, hi, Sherry. May I please speak to Anna Reinhardt? This is her husband, Gerald. 
For a moment, only silence greets me on the other end of the line. Finally, Sherry answers, her voice small and dripping with wariness. I'm sorry, Mr. Reinhardt. I hate to be the one to tell you this. Anna hasn't worked here for the past two weeks. She got some paperwork mixed up that caused us to lose an extremely large sale. We had no choice. Unfortunately, she had to be let go. I murmur a thank you and dejectedly hang up the phone. A million sharp needles impale my temples with the first signs of an oncoming migraine. I've suffered from them for the past few years. They are heavily aggravated, if not solely caused by stress. Of all the things that I've encountered today, this is truly the last thing I need. My foot throbs with pain with every step I take back towards my office. The workday drags on, and it seems to take forever to end. When it does, I'm only too relieved to leave the building and start my commute home. My wife and I have a lot to talk about, with her lying about still working at her job. Caught up in the eagerness of arriving home, I almost forget to stop and get milk and eggs from the grocery store. I want to make my grandkid a warm breakfast tomorrow to make up for the crappy Pop-Tart he ate in his rush to be on time this morning. The lines aren't too long, and I'm in and out in under 20 minutes. The pain in my temples start to ease. Something finally seems to be going my way. Thank God, too, I was about to lose it. My feet shuffle out into the parking lot. Suddenly the eggs fall to the ground, followed by the sound of twelve fatal cracks. Right there, not thirty feet away from me, is my car. Someone had decided to relocate my mirror for me, as well as put a very large decorative dent in my driver's side door. How nice of them. The full force of my migraine hits like a tidal wave against the white pavement as I stumble closer to assess the damage. The pain in my foot has increased in intensity, enough to cause a slight limp at this point. On closer inspection, I now see it's not a dent on my door, but a huge gash. There's no way that's going to buff or pound out. Maybe there's a note. Nope, of course not. That would have been too easy, right? I don't know how much more of this I can take. Murphy's Law is having its way with me today and without a prophylactic to boot. My mind feels like a thin wire stretched to its very limits, any little event causing it to snap. An empty driveway greets me when I arrive home. No surprise there, I guess. Anna still has an hour before she's due home from wherever it is that she's going that's not work. I exit my car just in time to see my boy get off the school bus. His little face wears a look of consternation as he sets his book bag down inside and flops on the couch. First grade's tough on him, I guess. He looks like a little man who just had the same kind of day that I did at work today. After dinner, I take him upstairs to get ready for a bath. He absolutely hates them, and I find myself once again trying to mentally prepare for an unfortunate situation. I hear the cordless phone start to ring and close my eyes with discouragement as I remember I left it downstairs. My guy's a big boy, but certainly not old enough to be left unsupervised near a tub, filling rapidly with water. So I let it ring. If it's important, the machine will get it. I hear Anna's voice on the recorded greeting and the telltale beep. Hey, honey. I'm so sorry, but I'm going to be super late coming home tonight. Things got crazy today at work with this new housing development, and I have to stay late to catch up. I have no idea how long it'll take. Don't wait up, okay? I'll wake you up when I get home. Can't wait to hear about your promotion today. Love you. The words sink in, and I feel my left eye start to twitch. Before long, it feels like half of the side of my face is quaking with misfiring nerve endings. Adam comes out of his room, hears the water, 
and starts to wail and protest. My head feels like it's being split into two. It's agonizing to keep my eyes open, and now the excruciating pain in my foot reverberates with every heartbeat. I woke up late, stepped on a Lego, had to rush to leave the house, didn't get the promotion today. My wife has been lying to me for two weeks about work. Someone smashed the side of my car. I have a migraine from hell. The house is a mess. And my wife is out somewhere unknown until an unknown time. Adam is screaming, and my foot hurts. Adam's tantrum reaches a new pitch that shoots a shock of pain into my cerebellum like a bullet. I tell him to calm down and stop, but he won't lower his wailing enough to hear me. I played with him, hot tears pricking my eyes to stop, to please be quiet for Grandpa for just a minute. I turn to take a step into the hallway towards him and my peripheral vision blurs with white light. It takes about two seconds for the pain to register that I have stepped on yet another Lego. This one a sharp piece to a mountaintop, effectively puncturing the skin of my foot and drawing blood in the process. My eyes widen and my hands fly out to steady myself. My arm comes into contact with a solid force long enough to regain my bearings. I woke up late, stepped on a Lego, had to rush to leave the house, didn't get the promotion today. My wife has been lying to me for two weeks about work. Someone smashed the side of my car. I have a migraine from hell. The house is a mess. My wife is out somewhere unknown till an unknown time. Adam is screaming. And now, my foot really, really hurts. My head, my foot, the damn Legos. I stepped on a Lego. The hallway was full of Legos. We woke up late this morning. We rushed to leave the house. The hallway was full of Legos. We woke up late this morning. We rushed to leave the house. Stepped on yet another damn Lego. My foot is bleeding. My hand flies out to steady myself. The hallway was full of Legos. We woke up late this morning. We rushed to leave the house. I stepped on yet another damn Lego. My foot's bleeding. My hands fly out to steady myself. My arm came into contact with a solid force. And Adam's body lays lifeless and broken at the bottom of the stairs. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed Legos, as written by author N.M. Brown, and performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that first tale, and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support them by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash brown. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash brown. You'll be redirected to a profile on Amazon where you can find an assortment of books containing other frightening tales to contribute to your insomnia. And if you didn't have trouble sleeping already, well, <laughs> it's never too late to get started. 
If you do decide to stop by her profile, please leave Miss Brown a kind word and let her know you heard about her on this program and that Otis sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. As for our previous story, well, I've never stepped on a Lego myself, but I know some people who have and who wished they were dead afterwards. <laughs> but we can't all be that lucky now, can we? Moving on, our second tale from N.M. Brown takes us away from the world of children's toys and into the realm of high cuisine. Some experimental procedures are designed to improve the lives of the subject, but some just seem to be for the onlookers. I leave it to you to see who benefits the most. Without further ado, I present to you, You Are What You Meet. It was all I could do not to vomit when my mother-in-law proudly set the roast down in front of us, its meat glistening brown on the kitchen table. Doug, are you all right? My wife, Maxine, whispered, making sure her parents couldn't hear. She hadn't told them what I'd been through. Hell, I'd hardly had the mental strength to tell her everything myself. The smell of freshly roasted meat created an acrid taste in the back of my mouth. Ever since I was a kid, I'd been obsessed with experimentation. Scientific constants, variables, and results fascinated me. When other guys my age were mastering unhooking a bra with one hand, I was pouring salt on snails and making semi-poisonous toxins with my chemistry set. Before I had time to process, I signed an NDA, given over my bank account information to payroll, and had signed my first official contract in the scientific world as an intern. The feeling of knowing I would be welcome into a community of peers that were into the same interests as I was. My mind raced at the possibilities of what my employer and I would discover together, the ways we would change the world as we knew it. If I only I had known. When I walked in that first day, I was ready to take the world of science and medicine by the balls. The man who hired me would be my boss. He told me nothing about himself other than that his name was Harris. Whether that was his first or last name, I had no idea. I didn't care much to ask at the time. Then again, I didn't think it was information that would be too relevant during an internship. People don't like an overabundance of questions, whether they'll admit it to you or not. And I didn't want to be the squeaky wheel that got boiled in hot grease. Anyway, science is one of the broadest subjects that there is. And I knew I could have signed up to study any one of them. Being a student with a military upbringing, I won't lie and tell you I wasn't hoping for something biochemical, or at the very least weather-related. Having said that, when Harris told me we'd be studying behavioral science, I was more than intrigued. The science of the mind hadn't even occurred to me as a possibility. With my family's various mental illnesses and addictions, I thought it'd be a wonderful area to study and understand. "'Excuse me, Harris,' I said quietly. "'Will we be studying serotonin levels and the effects of different chemicals on the brain?' A thin smile stretched across his weathered face as he turned to acknowledge me. "'That, my good sir, is more psychological science. "'What we do here is different. "'You'd be hard-pressed to find results like these "'in a Rorschach test or blood panel.' "'He began to walk down a hallway to the left, "'wordlessly motioning for me to follow as he continued to speak. "'You are here to learn, not judge. "'Many aspiring scientists shy away from greatness.' They let their moral compass get in the way. Is that going to be an issue, Doug? I more than disliked the implication of his tone, but answered nonetheless. Of course, whatever you need, sir. 
Harris, he barked, correcting politeness that any of my other superiors would have appreciated. Harris then cleared his throat before addressing me in a softer voice. Everyone here is perfectly aware of why they're here. They get compensation in the name of science. Now, who wouldn't want that? He smiled, resembling an old-timey snake oil salesman. I merely nodded in response. We entered a dark room that contained a long table and chairs, including a pane of glass that took me up the entire front wall, fully revealing the room behind it. Two women in nurses' scrubs sat in a bare, stark white room. There's nothing for them to sit or lean on. It was just the two women, the floor and a vast sea of maddening white. I stared at Harris, confused. Don't worry, they can't see or hear us, he said matter-of-factly. They looked bored and tired, but otherwise healthy. Their complacency in their movements and facial expressions proved what Harris said earlier was true. These women were definitely here of their own volition. We watched in silence for a full hour before Harris spoke again, shedding a very dim light on the point of the experiment. These ladies here are vegetarian. Our job is to see how dedicated they are to their cause by testing their willpower and defenses. The first one to give in to their hunger goes home with nothing. The woman who holds out the longest will receive a quarter of the money gathered for this research study. $10,800. More silence continued, with even less activity coming from the inside. The taller woman with the dark hair seemed perfectly content with sitting idly and doing nothing. I'd surmised maybe she was a housewife or stay-at-home mom and desperately needed an empty space to herself, mostly. However, the shorter woman with the red hair became fidgety after only six hours. She began twisting her hair at the ends before ripping it off, chewing her fingernails and tapping her feet. I guessed that she was a smoker, someone who depended on an oral fixation. I felt relieved at the end of the day when I got to go home. The plan was to go home and cook up the fattest, juiciest steak I had in the freezer. I'd assumed that the women were also released and were satiating their hunger with salads and veggie wraps or whatever the hell it was that they preferred to eat. I was wrong. The next afternoon, I was surprised to see the women in the same clothing they were in the day before. Their hair was disheveled, and dark bags were beginning to plague the skin under their eyes. Jesus Christ, didn't they go home and eat? I asked incredulously. My lower lip clamped under my top teeth the moment the inquiry came out into the open. Audible air. Instead of snapping at me, I was surprised to see a smile form on Harris's normally joyless face. I figured you'd ask. That's why I wanted you to be here when I fed them. My heart dropped as I saw him reach into a plastic container and pull out a raw hunk of fat marbled beef, much like the one I'd selfishly grilled up and enjoyed the evening before. He sprinkled what looked like a mixture of pepper and rosemary before sliding it into the room on a tray. Both women looked at it disgustedly as it entered their shared space. I saw them murmuring things to each other, but couldn't hear inside of the room. You can't be serious, I exclaimed much louder than I'd intended. Harris shot me a steely look of warning as he withdrew the empty tray from the slot, closed the entrance to it, and locked it. I cringed as the taller woman dropped her pants and started urinating in the corner. Similar stains began to catch my eye the more I glanced around the room. The red-haired woman had reduced her nails to bloodied shards and still winced as she attempted to bite off more. Her swollen fingertips twisted off brittle bits of greasy hair. Harris grabbed a phone, clicked on a button, and leaned toward the opposite side of the room before whispering something I couldn't understand. As he did this, 
I realized that the red-haired woman wasn't trying to chew her nails at all. Instead, I noticed she was taking the ripped balls of hair and placing them between her teeth to chew on. Two men walked into the white room with assertive steps. Everything inside of me screamed that I should have said something, anything to try to stop what was going on in front of me. But of course I didn't. In my mind, it was all justified. They signed on for this. No one was forcing them to be here. The men grabbed the red-haired woman by the shoulders before forcing her to her knees. A single tear slid down her face as one of the men withdrew a pair of scissors from his inner coat pocket. The other produced what looked like a beard and mustache trimmer. Within moments, the beautiful curls of red hair were nothing more than stolen wisps on the floor, dying by the second. The women looked at each other as the clippers turned on, the blonde giving the other a nod of encouragement and solidarity. The room was swept and vacuumed before the pair left the same way they'd come in. You know what? This whole thing would be a hell of a lot easier if I just gave them names. I decided to call the taller blonde woman Barbara and the other Rebecca. I wasn't privy to their real names, but it felt disrespectful to label them as Subject A and B, as Harris had in past statements. The stake still sat between them, and I gagged to see some of the red dust hairs from Rebecca's head stuck to its flesh. Oxidation had begun to set in at the corners, slowly turning the once crimson meat to a dull, rotted brown. I couldn't help wondering which one of them would crack first, or how long they'd have to stay if neither one did. After two days off, I almost didn't go back. But Harris's word plagued me each time I thought about it. Many aspiring scientists shy away from greatness. They let their moral compass get in the way. Is that going to be an issue, Doug? So after much rationalization and justification, I showed up bright and early Monday morning as promised. In my mind, I knew there was no way that the women would still be in there. Surely one of them pulled a fear factor and bit off a chunk of the meat by now. But as per the theme of this story, of course, I was wrong. Their once bright room had now become dingy under the pristine lights. Brown smears adorned the back of their clothes, excrement that had made it past the half-made defecation corner. As off-point as it was, I remember wondering how one could poop so much with virtually nothing in their stomach. Barbara lay sleeping in the fetal position on the floor, surely weakened from the lack of nutrients and hydration. $11,000 had the potential to be a life-changing amount of money, but was it really worth all this? I thought, sadly. Rebecca crawled weakly to the front of the room, sniffing the steak before dribbling bile down her chin. I gagged a little myself once I saw that piece of meat was now tinged to sea algae green, with gray marbling swirled through it where the fat once was. I bit my lip as she lifted the meat up to her face, but couldn't help but breathe a sigh of relief as she tossed it away. Then I saw something that scared me. Rebecca looked at Barbara. A wild look had taken over her face. She was studying her, eyeing her. I heard a lot of my friends rudely refer to girls as pieces of meat, but this was the first time I'd ever seen that saying personified on someone's face. Now, what I said earlier about the NDA, I realize this entire thing is in direct defiance of that order. If legal ramifications fall upon me after this, I welcome them with open arms. The truth is, I'd be safer in jail anyway. What happened next shouldn't have been a surprise. This was a behavioral study, after all, and people were capable of almost anything when pushed too far. Still, I didn't see it coming. I don't think any of us did. Rebecca made a cooing motion with her lips, 
as she softly stroked Barbara's hair. The woman stirred slightly as Rebecca's shaved head leaned down to kiss her cheek. In a slap-like motion, she reared her head back and viciously buried it in the corner of Barbara's neck. Her eyes snapped open in surprise as Rebecca sent blood and sinews spewing from her. Rebecca only paused slightly to write something on the floor in Barbara's blood. By the time anyone had gotten in there, it was too late. Rebecca knew to bite the most lethal part of the body, cutting off her air supply and blood flow instantly. She smiled through flesh-covered teeth, and she continued to eat her way up her right cheekbone. I snapped my attention back to my mother-in-law's kitchen table, shuddering away from the array of meats and vegetables piled high on the plates. My mother-in-law was speaking to me, but I'd been too wrapped up in my own horrors to realize it. Go on and eat, Duck, while it's fresh. I wasn't one of the men who busted into the room in which the women were housed. I ashamedly stayed behind, frozen in horror like a coward. But when I was questioned, they showed me a picture of what Rebecca had written on the floor. The words haunt me to this day forever burned into my memory as an emblazoned red font. If you're going to make me eat meat, it has to be fresh. I hope you enjoyed You Are What You Meet by author N.M. Brown, as performed by yours truly. The thing some people will do for money, I tell you. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't think our former protagonist is going to find too many places to spend her winnings. Not where she's going, anyway. But even though the subject of our previous tale is plumb out of luck, you're in store for more. Horror, that is. We've got another tale coming right up. You know when tragedy strikes, families can try many different ways to heal. In our next tale, a mother and father, struggling with the loss of their daughter to an accident, imagine a new home might just be the ticket. Unfortunately for them, they discover, after moving into their new residence, that it has more rooms than it did when they bought it, and their new addition is going to raise far more than their property taxes. Without further ado, I present to you Viaduct of Mourning. I still get flashes before I open my eyes in the morning. The air was cold. It carried with it a moisture that seemed to settle right into your lungs with each breath. At times, a strong gust of wind could feel like ice crystals, settling right into the outer lining of your lungs, making the cold all the more cruel. We went ice skating. Hannah was laughing one minute, then the next, she was gone. The only sign of her whereabouts was a dark, foreboding, jagged hole in the ice. My wife, Marjorie, fell to her knees over top of what would soon be our daughter's tomb, plunging her arms shoulder-deep into the freezing water that rapidly ran beneath the fracturing layers of ice. Her arms dipped downwardly repeatedly, each time coming up holding nothing but air. In that fateful moment, my mind flashed through the past six years of her precious little life. I saw a tiny square patch of hair morph into an entire infant with one gigantic finishing push. I saw two years' worth of tired eyes and faces as Hannah struggled to find a consistent sleep pattern, toddling steps, the very first, towards her mother across the living room floor of our first apartment. I saw my own eyes in my rearview mirror, red and blurry with tears, as I drove away from her first day of preschool. But mostly I felt the disparaging unfairness of it all. All of those moments, a mini-lifetime of events, all for nothing if she died that day, all to become just an empty, 
jagged hole in the ice. Porter! My wife screamed, breaking me from the torment of fatalistic nostalgia. See if you can get a glimpse of her under the ice. One more second and she'll die down there. Help! Please! Someone help us! That was the last time we or anyone else ever saw our sweet girl again. Her body was never recovered, not due to lack of trying, mind you. For the next five days after, damn near every fireman, EMT, police officer, and concerned citizen was on the borders of that ice, helping look as much as possible without causing the ice across the entire pond to cave in, resulting in undoubtedly more tragedy. Still, my wife and I honored an empty, child-sized casket at her funeral, despite all that effort. Frozen waters can be deceiving. They're like an optical illusion. You never realize how fast the water underneath is traveling due to the stillness of the ice. She was swept away by the current, with only a solid surface of ice to greet her as she tried to come up for air. A breath seems such an infinitesimal action, until you aren't able to take one. With all the trauma we'd been through, we both thought it would be best to relocate. I wanted to move us away from anything that had to do with our daughter. The agony of her death haunted us like a ghost. Her teachers would be at the grocery stores, their sympathetic eyes glazing over with tears as they regaled us, with tales of how intelligent and sweet our dead daughter was. Once well-lit and joyful, her favorite restaurants now resembled barren landscapes of a life cut short. We didn't want to forget her. It was the opposite of that, actually. We wanted to be able to get to a place where we could remember her with love, without the tidal wave of suicidal sadness and grief. We ended up moving two towns over, after looking at dozens of houses. It was ultimately me who ended up making the decision. Marjorie was paraded through home after home with blank, soulless eyes. I ashamedly stopped bringing her after touring our 14th rental property. The realtor commented on how spacious the residence was, with two other bedrooms accompanying the master. My wife looked at him with tear-glazed eyes and muttered, I don't care how many rooms it has. I just want to be with my daughter. I was admittedly about ready to give up when I came upon a ranch-style house with barn-red shutters. Something about it seemed so welcoming, even from the outside. I flirted with the idea for over two weeks. After all, it was the only residence that I'd revisited. I was more than ecstatic when I found out it was barely a breath's hair over our allotted budget. By the time all was said and done, the realtor knew me by name and could recognize the vehicle I drove. It took mere moments to sign the paperwork, and before I knew it, I was on my way back to Marjorie to pack up for our new home. I gingerly guided her through each room, trying to do my best to hide my excitement. It's not that I was happy about why we had to move. Our daughter would grace my every thought and decision until the day I died. But I wanted this house to represent more than her death. If that was all it was going to amount to, we might as well have stayed at the old house. This house, these empty spaces were full of a luxury that I thought people like us were too old to be afforded. Potential. The potential of a new life in a new place, was the last straw of happiness that I had to grasp at. And God forgive me, I intended to hold on with both hands. My footsteps stopped short in the hallway, causing Marjorie's body to clash into me before bouncing away. Jesus, Porter! She winced as she rubbed the shoulder that had taken the brunt of the impact. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, honey. I muttered, it's just that... My voice trailed off uselessly, unsure of exactly what to say. The hallway was interrupted by a large wooden door on the left-hand side, one that I didn't remember seeing the previous times I'd explored the house. 
The orange paint that consumed it, although faded, screamed against the cream-colored walls that surrounded the door. Marjorie's voice quickly grabbed me back from the brink of my confusion. What's behind this one? Another bedroom, do you think? You told me it only had two. You know, I'm not sure, I admitted. I don't remember this being here before. My fingers traced the grooves in the masonite panels decoratively placed in the middle before placing my hand on the doorknob. My wrist twisted and turned to no avail. The door was locked proper. I was pretty sure the realtor hadn't mentioned anything about extra keys, either. I raced to the kitchen, mid-thought, leaving a very confused Marjorie, unattended in the empty hallway. The kitchen and cupboard drawers yielded no results as far as keys went, and I was pretty sure the key to the front door was meant solely for that entrance. Nevertheless, I still tried. My wife, who lately hadn't been able to muster up much emotion for anything, suddenly became enraptured with this door and the possibilities it could reveal. She'd broken two credit cards in half, trying to unlock the door, a technique she'd used as a teenager when her drunken mother forgot to leave the house, unlocked for her after work. In no time flat, she was rushing past me to the kitchen, rummaging through the same drawers that I had mere moments earlier, before emerging with a butcher's knife. She peered into the sliver of space between the dead latch and strike of the doorknob before gently inserting the blade between them. "'What the hell are you doing, Marge? You're going to chip the paint!' I exclaimed, despite myself. I always had the worst timing, and this incident was further proof of that. "'Screw the paint!' she muttered, her face scrunched in exaggerated concentration. "'Whoa! You were bringing nighttime aggression to a daytime conversation,' I joked. Her facial expressions didn't change, and my heart sagged. That used to be one of her favorites. "'Oh, Porter!' She began to scold me, bringing her gaze up to meet mine, instead of remaining focused on where it needed to be. The handle of the knife slipped as a result, peppering the door with dots of crimson as it slashed through the soft flesh on the palm of her hand. "'God damn it!' she shouted. The knife clattered to the floor at her feet, and she placed her injured hand against the door reflexively to steady herself. A pert series of clicks reverberated through the hallway, and my eyes widened in astonishment. Marjorie's trembling hand, still dripping with blood, reached down and gripped the brass doorknob. It turned effortlessly as she pulled it open, her facial features freezing in abject horror. Hannah, she called out, struggling to maintain proper balance, as she began removing her shoes one at a time. I'm right here. Mommy's coming, baby. I reached out and grabbed her by the elbow just as she leapt for the doorway. I'd come around the other side of the open door and finally saw what she was seeing. My breath caught in my throat, unable to travel any further until my mind processed the sight before me. The room wasn't really a room at all. The space behind this door could easily have been as large as the entire house by itself. It was the vast, deep blue of water, and our daughter floated happily in the middle of it while looking out at us expectantly. I stuck my hand inside, expecting to feel the ebb and flow of water. Instead, I became entangled in a pliant substance that acted almost as sort of a barrier to contain what was inside, separating worlds. My wife had decided to take a different approach, jerking her elbow out of my grasp and jumping inside. I, of course, followed, straining through the thick outer membrane as it fought to keep me out, like how the body rejects a foreign object. Cold water consumed my every sense as I fought not the urge to scream. Bubbles emerged from my wife's lips as she held our daughter to her sobbing chest. Hannah reached up and placed a hand over her mother's mouth, before shaking her head back and forth in warning. The words, don't try to breathe, floated through the burbled hydroponics of our atmosphere. 
My nasal passages began to burn with yearning as if on cue, and my eyes burned terribly. I hitched an arm under my little girl and began to swim for the doorway, intending to use as much force as the aquatics allowed me to push her through to the other side. She stopped just before the entrance, marveling in silence at the bright hallway on the other side. Her tiny hand reached back for her mother's, while sadness shaded her features. At the last moment, she placed her small arms in the backs of our neck and shoved us through the doorway with an effort she would have never been capable of in life. An inhuman noise of despair rose from my wife's chest before emanating into the air around us as she tumbled to the cold towel floor of the hallway. The doorway slammed shut, unwilling to open again to my touch. As much as I loved my child, I had no desire to go into that room again. Our lives had taken on a dark and sinister feeling ever since we'd discovered it. Marjorie had maxed out our credit cards, loading up on oxygen tanks and various scuba equipment, making our house heavily combustible now, among other things. I'd come home to find trails of waterlogged footprints leading in different locations throughout the house, knowing there was only one place they could have come from. Instead of being happy, like I assumed she would be, I found my wife becoming darker and more withdrawn, her every waking thought possessed by our daughter in opening that door. She rushed through meals and began to neglect the most basic tasks of self-care. Every moment spent in our realm, in our reality, had become a waste of her time. It was a performance for her to endure the emotions of, until she could return to her newfound aquatic hell. We would argue terribly, and more and more often, the dissolution of our marriage was becoming a tangible entity. I sank into my own hell of drugs and alcohol to understand a truly incomprehensible situation. I never found her body, Porter. The words exploded through my wife's mouth with an iron conviction. It's because she came here. She was waiting for us, honey. You told me yourself. You said the moment you stepped inside this house, you had an overwhelming good feeling that it was supposed to be our home. As long as we aren't breathing, we can be a family again. Tears flooded my eyes along with a maelstrom of feelings. An overwhelming sadness mixed with the crippling fear that my wife's mental state was now broken beyond repair. I wasn't equipped to deal with this. Damn it, I needed her. Hannah was my daughter, too. Had my eyes, for Christ's sake. I longed for the luxury of madness, just like Marjorie had helped herself to. They were very much together in my wife's mind, and our daughter had not been lost. It's been four days since Marjorie last entered the room to the left of the hallway. That means it's been over 96 hours since she took her last breath. No oxygen tank in the world could withstand that amount of time, not to mention the devastation to her skin and organs. Her words echoed through my mind, becoming more waterlogged and incomprehensible as the hours and days passed. As long as we aren't breathing, we can be a family again. The past month's worth of events have been akin to living in a drug-like state. I'd become adjusted to a reality that didn't belong to me, didn't even belong to this world. As beautiful and intoxicating as it was for my wife, it was high time for us to wake up. Whatever mirage that room contained was not our little Hannah. I knew in my heart that it couldn't be. Our little girl would have passed away to enter heaven with the angels, not to be stuck in a water-filled limbo. No one deserved that, especially not the innocent soul of a child. Marjorie would grow to accept that, hopefully even agree with it in time. This was never the way things were supposed to be. I pressed my palm against the door, praying it would open for me like it always had, for Marjorie. The tumbler cylinder inside of the doorknob clicked, 
sending a series of echoes through our seemingly empty home. I grasped the knob, turning it tentatively, and pulling outward with a shaking hand. My lungs grabbed every spare centimeter of air it allowed as I thrust myself through the elastic membrane. White noise consumed the inside of my entire body, turning my blood and bones to static electricity as I plunged into the icy cold abyss that now had become my daughter's forever home. It took me a moment to see them, but I started running the second that I did, fighting buoyancy with every step. Their still, peaceful forms lay cuddled up on the sides in a four-poster canopied bed. The sheets that shrouded their resting bodies billowed in tandem with the flow of the water that had stolen my family. My lungs began to twitch with impatience as I slipped an arm under Marjorie, careful not to disturb the entity impersonating my dead daughter. Her hair floated like an auburn halo around her face as I lifted her from the mattress. She'd almost cleared the bed completely when her left foot became unexpectedly entangled in the pale pink canopy drapes. This small interruption was just enough to gather Hannah's very unwanted attention. She looked at me confusedly through amber-colored eyes and held her hands up, as if wordlessly asking where her mommy was going. I ignored her with a breaking heart, averting my eyes to the doorway. It was becoming harder and harder to hold my breath. My senses were becoming warped and fuzzy as my chest began to radiate with a white-hot heat. Hannah drifted toward us, her arms outstretched in a desperate longing. As we neared the door, I noticed Hannah's face began to change. Her once-rounded features were now pointed and angular, giving her face a malevolence that she could never possibly possess. Her eyes were two deep black pits of rage, and her jagged teeth gnashed together in a snarl as she attempted to rip at Marjorie's clothes and flesh. Her small mouth opened wide, her jaw unhinging, and emitting a roar that rippled torrents of motion throughout the water, whipping items wildly around the room. Once I was confident that I had closed enough distance between me and our way out, I swirled around, positioning myself feet first toward the door, my lower body racked with convulsions as I found myself stuck between worlds. My bottom half had made it out successfully, while my top refused to let go of the only thing I had left, my wife. I pulled with everything that I had to get her through the other side, to no avail. What's worse, the outer edges of the doorway had begun to shrink, making my exit to the mortal more difficult with each passing second. My muscles quaked, shuddering in agony as my strength began to wane. I had mere moments left to get her through the doorway, and my body was failing fast. Most of the entrance had soon solidified, leaving a space only large enough for my hands to hold on to hers. The rest of my body had been spat through to the other side, but by the grace of all that was holy, I'd managed to keep hold of her hands final jolt racked my body as I felt her arms being ripped away from mine, our hands disconnecting for the last time in this lifetime. Sweat mingled with the fresh water and tears that had coated my face, stinging my already injured eyes as sobs wretched through my body. By the time I rose to my feet, the entire doorway was gone, as if never existing to begin with. Only a thick layer of wooden insulation covered by painted blue drywall remained. I know this because, much to my landlord's horror, I hammered through it myself to be sure. My mind feels broken, rendered useless by a constant state of fear. I'm afraid of living a life alone without my family. Afraid when I think of the state my wife and daughter are currently in. Lost to the ether of an unknown world I couldn't touch. But mostly, I was afraid of what they'd be like if I ever got them back. The only thing that can keep me upright through all of this, the only thing that can give me any form of humanly comfort, is that out of everything, at least 
Marjorie got her wish. Her mind again sounds through my brain, her words holding crystal clarity. Porter, I just want to be with my daughter. I hope you enjoyed Viaduct of Morning by author N.M. Brown, as performed by yours truly. I would recommend reading the fine print of any home contract you sign. If the phrase, gateway to another dimension, appears, I suggest hiring a lawyer before going any further. Unless, of course, you're into that sort of thing. <laughs> if you enjoyed the tales you've heard tonight... I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash brown. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash brown. You'll be taken directly to the website of the Census Bureau's appointment office. I'm sorry, I mean to the author's Amazon profile, where you can find more tales to keep you busy. Until the next time we meet. You can also find a veritable smorgasbord of NM's material 100% free on our horror fiction website, creepypastastories.com. Just search for her there and sink your teeth into more horror than you can handle. Not just from her, but from hundreds of amazing contributors. I personally recommend you pick up a copy of N.M. Brown's debut anthology, Origins of Delusion, with a Kindle version available for less than $3. The book contains dozens of her best work, including Legos, which you heard here tonight, and plenty more where that came from, about everything from curses and horrific accidents to unwanted predictions, horrors of the heart, and much, much more. If you decide to give any of Miss Brown's books or stories a read, however, please consider leaving her a quality review and a kind word, or a thoughtful public comment and an upvote depending on the platform. And be sure to let her know you heard about her on this program and that Otis sent you. It means more to me than you can imagine, and I'm sure Miss Brown would appreciate it too. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the tear, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well, at the Otis Jiry channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Jiry. Until next week, stay spooky, and get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. 
Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jiry channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.